Welcome to the Paperback Readers Podcast. I'm Julie. Which must make me Joe. And thanks for tuning in yet again for our discussion of the fun stuff we read, what we think about it, and hopefully your tips on what we should read next. Okay, I went first last week. So, Joe, what have you been reading over these past two weeks? Well, several things. Uh, a lot of sports stuff, but not entirely. Um, first was a book called If These Walls Could Talk, Chicago Cubs, and there's more to the title, but it's part of a series of books. Uh, it's by a guy named John Greenberg, published, I should mention, by Triumph Books, which also published my latest literary uh, musings, if you will. It's uh, actually a rerun of my first book, which was 100 Things Wildcats Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die, but that's either out or coming out. I never know when these things appear, but uh, encourage your, your patronage there. It makes a great Christmas present. It's an excellent book. Perfect size for a stocking, as we noted during the, <laughs> the first run. But anyway, none of that has anything to do with John Greenberg, except that we sometimes share a publisher. His book's about the Cubs. Uh, it chronicles the 2016 World Series run and what came after, and probably bad timing because I read it just as the 2020 Cubs season came to an end. Which was just sad. And it makes me think how quickly the glories of Ben Zobrist and Joe Madden and all that stuff uh, are gone, but, uh, but certainly not forgotten in the hearts of those who loved them. That's right. So the next book was called The Called Shot by a guy named Thomas Wolfe. It's not the Thomas Wolfe of Look Homeward Angel fame. Um, Mr. Wolfe chronicles the 1932 baseball season, which culminates in Babe Ruth's allegedly called shot when he pointed to the center field bleachers at Wrigley Field and hit the next pitch right where he pointed or didn't point, depending on who you believe. Um, but Wolf kind of uses that as a jumping off point. He talks about the whole, not only 1932 season, it's 1932 in America and the world FDR is elected for the first time in 1932. So, you know, it's a time of great turmoil, not only in baseball, but in America. And it, it's a good book to kind of get the big picture. I think that that sounds really cool. How young do you think it could go? Because I'm listening to you and thinking about our son. Uh, you know, there were there were occasional moments of adult content. Oh, okay. uh, but, you know, you're going to talk about Babe Ruth, who, who... Okay, never mind. You know, <laughs> was, <laughs> was at best a PG-13 figure <laughs> uh, and probably a little higher than that. But I was just thinking about his complete fascination with that called shot. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I mean, it's it's one of those central moments of cultural mythology. Did it happen? Didn't it happen? If for nothing else, it would be a worthwhile book. But there's a lot else to recommend uh, The Called Shot for, and I enjoyed that one. Um, and then the other book I read that I really want to rave about is The Cost of These Dreams, Sports Stories and Other Serious Business by Wright Thompson. Uh, Wright Thompson was an ESPN columnist. I don't know if he's still at ESPN, uh, but what I do know is started this book, got a third or half of the way in, and I was talking to you about it one day, and I said, if I ever do grow up, I want to write like Wright Thompson, <laughs> uh, because he just, he absolutely slays it in this book. It's a book, essentially, of essays and columns, and magazine pieces. Um, there's the He opens with one about Michael Jordan and his aging times. Uh, and one of the themes of the book, really, he, he looks at these great athletic heroes and their struggles to kind of put their life back together. He, he, one of the sections is about Urban Meyer, the Ohio State and Florida football coach, and how he seriously screwed up his family life 
And, uh, you know, he'd, he'd retired after the Florida thing and he wanted to get back in at Ohio State. His family actually made him sign a contract. There is a handwritten document, you know, I'll, I'll be home by X o'clock. I'll be there for dinner. Uh, and, and it's sad. It's just very sad. Yeah, but, but, you know, it's humbling. You You read about all of these quote unquote great people and you find out what feet of clay they have in their own lives. But it's also kind of encouraging to think about. The biggest struggle that I feel like I have and uh, like in the work home balance is just finding that balance. How do you how do you make sure that both of those things get the attention they need and the things that are priorities really get that extra? Atten- it's kind of it's kind of comforting in a way to think about how all these people who are greats, they also struggle with this. Oh, very much. And probably my favorite section was part he did on the 1962 Ole Miss football team, uh, which yeah, 1962 is when Ole Miss integrates. So it's a story about race. It's a story about football. It's a story about the way we remember great things that happen, the way we remember terrible things that happen, and the way that those memories can tie us together or break us apart. Um, all in all, this is a book that I would just highly recommend if you if you care about sports and honestly if you care about good writing. Uh, Wright Thompson is a name to keep uh, on the the memory bank. High praise for the cost of these dreams and hope there will be many more. That sounds amazing. That sounds like really one that I would probably like. Do you think I would? I don't see why not. (laughs) Okay. Well, this week, these past two weeks, I have read four books that I loved every single one of them. I thought they were wonderful. The first one I finished was called In a Holidays by Christina Lauren. Pick this book up now. It's a Christmas book because I am ready for Christmas. Nobody else in this house is ready for Christmas. (laughs) My son keeps reminding me that it's not even Halloween, but I love Christmas so much. And so this book was a perfect little stopgap while I'm waiting for the Christmas season to get here. It's the story of May, who is devastated when she finds out that the cabin she and her family have spent Christmas in for her entire life has been sold. She winds up in a Groundhog Day type situation where she is repeating the same Christmas vacation over and over until she can fix things, um, both in her relationship life and in the selling of this cabin. You know that I'm not a fan of Groundhog Day. So (laughs) I almost didn't read this book because of that. But then I was really glad that I did. It's kind of kind of a bit of an open door romance. um, But it was just a fun Christmassy book. Um, that makes you think a lot about, you know, past Christmases and the memories that matter to you in them. It made you bring up Bill Murray, so. (laughs) (laughs) So now this podcast has gone excellently by you. All right. Um, Hamnet by Maggie O'Farrell is the next book that I finished, and I talked to you about this extensively. I actually read you the whole last 10 pages because I thought it was so perfect. Um, Hamnet is the fictional retelling of Shakespeare's son, Hamnet, his only son, who died when he was young. Um, Don't really know much at all about Hamnet. Maggie O'Farrell hypothesized that um, he died of the plague. And so the book centers on him, but it it really um, is about Shakespeare's wife. Um, And then how do we deal with grief? What do we do when we lose someone that we love? How can our words and the things that we say about them after they're gone help them live on? It was absolutely beautiful. It's a very literary novel. It is not um, a page turner, except for the fact that you want to know how they're going to get through this. 
Well, and on some level, it sounds like Shakespeare wasn't that different than Urban Meyer. I mean, again, it, it's mm-hmm. the costs that we pay for the dreams that we follow mm-hmm. and whether we can live with ourselves with the things that we maybe neglect or maybe just lose along the way, not even out of neglect. Well, I'm, we're both huge Shakespeare fans, of course, but... Um, one of the things that has always bothered me about Shakespeare, that huge chunk of time when he leaves, he goes to London, he becomes this famous playwright. Yeah. yeah, but his family is back home and we don't know what they're doing. We don't know what he's doing, but we know that they're not together. And it always bothered me that he seemed like such a crappy father and, and <laughs> husband in this book. He is neither of those things. He's loving. He's devoted to his family. And yet there is this huge separation, which causes rifts in their relationship and in the way that they're able to relate to each other and in the way they're able to rely on each other to heal from that grief. Beautiful book. Beautiful book all the way through. Then I read Well Played by Jen DeLuca. I also read her book Well Met several years ago. Um, these are also romance books. They're really, really fun books. They're set at a Renaissance fair in Maryland. I, have you ever been to a Renaissance fair? I have not. I have not either, but these books make me want to go to one. <laughs> it just, it's really cool. The people, characters in the book, um, actually put together a Renaissance fair in Maryland, a small scale one, and then they find love here at this Renaissance fair. So they're super fun. If you like Renaissance fairs, I think you would enjoy these books. Again, a bit of an open door romance here, but um even if you have never been to a renaissance fair this is just it's fun all the way through the characters are totally likable and relatable and then the last one for me is called house lessons by erica bauermeister i'm actually i still have about 20 pages to go in this book but i've loved it um it's a book about renovating a very very old house in port townsend but it's also a book about how renovating a house helps you learn how to renovate your life and pick out the things that are important and change the things that need to be changed. And I just think it's beautiful. It's written as a series of really kind of short essays. It's very meditative, lots of room to think about your own life. I do not do house renovations. (laughs) I don't know anything about any of this stuff. I was getting nervous, good. Yeah, but um, maybe because I have no intentions of doing this kind of thing, I really, really like reading about other people who are doing it. So now we're ready to talk about the book that we read together, which is Troubled Blood by Robert Galbraith. Yeah, you had read this a little bit ahead of me, and it being 900-odd pages long. Oh, yeah, it is. Substantial jump. We can't talk about this book without talking about the controversy uh, that surrounded this book. Now, I'm not going to go into blow-by-blow on this. You're welcome to search social media out if you want the specifics. But J.K. Rowling, a.k.a. Robert Galbraith, said some things on social media that were offensive or were taken as offensive uh, in regard to transgendered women. Um, There was a massive hubbub about that. And again, please, if if you're interested in the details, search them out. Don't rely on my bad memory trying to recount. And uh, I think that all that happened over the summer. It did. It did. This book came out... Um, in September. Right, right. So the subtext that we're going to get into before we actually talk about the book is 
the complicated... Because, wait, before this, when this book came out, all of that controversy resurfaced. Right, right. Focused on this particular book and what it did or did not contain. So so there was an element of like, oh, no, is this going to be some, you know, Salman Rushdie's satanic verses is the, the thing that immediately jumps to mind. Is this like some political hot potato? And largely it wasn't, but we'll, we'll get there. So the first thing we want to talk about with this controversial book is how much should controversy around a book or its author matter in what you choose to read? And the answer is that it's complicated. Sure, sure. It it is complicated. I don't think either of us would pretend that every author that we read or that we enjoy agrees with us on every political issue or every life choice. No, I would say very few do. Yeah. I I mean, an immediate thought, we talked about Nick Hornby last time, and I love Nick Hornby's books. Um, Just for instance, Nick Hornby is agnostic. He's pretty clear about that. Uh, I'm not agnostic. I'm a Christian. If Nick Hornby wrote a 300-page screed against God, it probably would be a book that I would struggle to get through. That said, I don't really know Nick Hornby in that way. I know Nick Hornby as a guy who writes some incredibly entertaining fiction about some well-drawn characters, and that's the context through which I've come to know his work. So this difference of opinion... uh, So you're kind of saying that for for an author's work... It may be, it may, your feelings about it may be different if the author is writing a book directly, a nonfiction book about controversial titles, topics, rather than when an author writes a fiction book that may deal with something controversial. Right, right. I think we allow a certain amount of creative license to the author. uh, And whether we should or shouldn't is something we can talk about. Well, one of the things that I come back to with this is the fact that once an author writes a book, whatever he or she intended with the book is now a side note because the book, the book belongs to the readers. Once it's come out into the world, it's, it's open to their interpretation. It's open to um, the meaning that they find in it. You mentioned Nick Hornby, um, who is not a Christian. And yet when I read his books, often I see God in them. Um, which he probably did not intend whatsoever. <laughs> Undoubtedly not. <laughs> but it's this, this, it's now my book because right. I'm the one who's reading it. And, and I think we have to acknowledge that there are times when the artist and, and his or her life and the art can't be separated anymore. I mean, I, I remember in the early 90s when a big thing was, was that there was music out there by Charles Manson. I, I understand. That's a different kettle of fish. Adolf Hitler was a painter. I don't want an Adolf Hitler painting on my wall, regardless of no. how good of a painting it might be. Uh, but but Charles Manson and Adolf Hitler seemed to me to be a very different kettle of fish than J.K. Rowling. Well, they killed people, and yeah. and and she is make is saying controversial opinions. And while I'm not saying that it's that you know just because it, it's not okay necessarily to just say oh well it doesn't matter what opinions somebody has. Um, that does make a difference in what we choose to read and what it, what we don't. I just don't think that there are any opinions out there that are that we can't talk about, that we can't um, we can't go ahead and read about and then form our own opinions about. Right, and you almost feel like the harder it is to have that conversation, maybe the more important it is that the conversation be had. 
Uh, I mean, issues of race are, are, are something that's come up multiple times for us. And, and we're sometimes struggling for vocabulary and making sure that we don't unwittingly say something that's offensive because that's the last thing we want. Yes, we're very much working but, on but that But it's here. important, and, and we're working on that today. <laughs> and I hope nobody who, who listens to this is offended, and I encourage you, use your own discretion. If you find the statements made by Rowling so offensive that you can't open those books, I get where you're coming from. I, I don't see it in quite that light, but we couldn't talk about the book without talking about it. But one thing I, I do want to say is that context matters, as we said with Nick Hornby. And in the case of J.K. Rowling, we've got so much history there. We've got the Harry Potter books. We've got Casual Vacancy, which I think is a vastly underrated novel. Oh, that's a great one. And this whole series of Cormoran Strike books. So, goodness up, sakes. Up until this one. Let's so. talk about literature. Well, um, and because of all that, because of the things that she has written that we have loved so much, I felt like it was something that we should read before we had opinions about it. When the book came out and there was all the controversy, I was really, really confused at all of the people who had such definite opinions about what garbage this book was, and the book was not released. Like, they had not read it. They were saying, I haven't read it, and I won't read it, but it's garbage. Again, that goes back to the idea of... Um, there's nothing so scary we can't talk about it. I, I can read a novel and then decide that I don't like it, but it's really, really hard for me to discuss anything that a novel does or doesn't say or any um, anything that it should or shouldn't say before I've read that novel. Well, and the irony here is when we both read it, we kind of went through it expecting the controversy hammer to fall, and it never really fell as far as any content that has anything to do with the things that Rowling said I mean, there is a character who uses women's clothing to try to disguise himself so that he can then murder people. Um, but it's not a major plot point. It's really just kind of a passing detail dropped into note. the book. Yeah. Um, and so it didn't really feel ultimately that important to me or to you. But well, to this book. It right. did not seem like that, yes. that the controversy that Rowling had stirred up in the summer did not seem to be reflected in this book yes. in the way that I was expecting it to be from what came out right before the book was published. So because of all this, <laughs> um, does... Do the controversies around a book matter? And you know, we talked about should it matter? Did it matter with this book? It didn't matter with this book because it really just had very, very little to do with, with anything that happened in this book. Now, what this book is about, the Cormoran Strike series is a series of mysteries. Strike is a detective. Um, and in this one, he and his detecting partner Robin Ellicott are called <laughs> upon to investigate a cold case. It's a woman named Margot Bambro who disappeared in the 1970s, literally without a trace. Uh, they're hired by her adult daughter, Anna, to dig back into this. Uh, and that's not something we've seen them working a cold no, case. not at all. So there are many, many investigatory twists and turns and I'll just say, as is typical of this series, Rowling does what she does and brings out an absolute smorgasbord of characters. And storylines. Yeah, and, and any of them could lead to what happened to this woman. And then at the end, they just drop the surprise hammer on you. And none of that ends up being what it's 
what you're thinking it's going to be. Total and surprise. Yet, at the end, when you look at it, you're like, it's oh, plausible. Yeah, no, I should add all those. Yeah, those, it's yeah. it's such a hard thing as a mystery mm-hmm. writer because you've got to surprise people. If you surprise people too much, it's like, oh, that <laughs> That's doesn't. Crazy. Yeah, but but perfectly done as all right. usual. These are um, very long books, and they have many, like Joe said, many many subplots. But um, my favorite of the subplots is the most important one, which is the Cormoran Strike and Robin Ellicott. Um, will they, won't they get together? That has come from the very, very beginning. Throughout these books, Robin has gotten married. Robin has gotten divorced. Strike has um, been involved with a crazy person um, in an on and off again kind of relationship. But they are each other's constants in their lives. Um, I found that, what, is this the fifth book? I believe so. Yeah. Those, the other books, I've just found this this story a little bit frustrating because there's never any answer for them. I think that this was the first of these books that I felt was really kind of satisfying um, in their relationship, not because they are together at the end of it, but because um, this book focused more on their growth as individual people. Um, it's a book where we saw a lot of personal growth and strike. We saw Robin learning how to be single, how to stand up for what she wants, what she thinks is right, what she wants out of friendships and relationships. And then we see a real solidity develop here to their partnership, both in work and in their friendship, where they really are each other's very best friend. And I want to talk about rolling as a writer, because I feel like there's a tendency to put her work in a box uh, Harry Potter is just young adult novels. Uh, Cormoran Strikes just mysteries. Well, it is. It has a genre, but the thing that jumps out, Rowling is such a master in setting character and setting scene. I mean, the, the attractive quality of this book, not unlike the Harry Potter books, is you can just sit down and you can pick it up and you can disappear into this very well-constructed world that she's drawn with these characters who you know and you identify with and you really get to kind of love. Uh, and in 2020, man, that's that's a so pretty comforting. big blessing. Yeah, and that, that was very much true here. I've never been... Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's true. We have talked about her before as being very much like Charles Dickens and her ability to um, create characters that are so very real um, and so pre- predictable, but not predictable. Like you, <laughs> you know what to expect out of them and you can count on them to be exactly who they are. Well, I mean, Strike. Strike is, is the, the prototypical hard-boiled detective. He's Bogart with a British accent. Yes. Uh, and his jaw is set, and, and he lost a leg in the war, and he doesn't complain. <laughs> he and... has a room above his office. This is where he lives, this tiny little attic. Yeah, yeah. But but he grows. He changes. He learns. Uh, and that was pretty gratifying in this book. Uh, another thing I do want to bring up, some of these books have been fairly gory. Uh, yeah. she, she's kind of straddling the line in spots between mystery and thriller. Uh, but this one, I thought less so. I mean, there, there's some, uh, like, occult speculation that goes around the abduction of this lady in the 70s. Uh, but it's it's more... It was more intellectual yeah, than, than yeah. just gross. And right. some of these books in this series have been really gross. Yeah. But this one was not. No, no. I, it might have been my favorite of the series. Um, and, and it's I, fair to say. 
I think it's the sort of book that if you can set aside <laughs> all of the stuff we talked about for six or seven minutes there, I think you'll really enjoy it. And if you can't... I totally understand. I get it. Yeah. Sure, sure. Okay. Um, all that said, we are not people who read tons and tons of mysteries. Sherlock just, Holmes aside. Yeah, gonna, it's just, yeah. it's not the typical genre that we turn to, but we read a book like this and we look at each other and we say, why don't we read more mysteries? This was good. Mm -hmm. So if you have any mysteries that you just love, series or not, send us a recommendation. You can leave us a comment um, on my website at juliekcox.com or you can send us an email at... What is it? It's paperbackreaderspod at gmail.com. And, and I'm going to up the ante a little bit. Mysteries, welcome. But so is anything else. I mean, uh, we, we've got kids who are going through The Hobbit right now and, and came to that late in life. Not a big sci-fi person, but it's not inherently. That's fantasy. Well, okay. Okay. Well, <laughs> So so not a big fantasy or sci-fi person, obviously. But my point being, when it's good, it's good. Uh, so, you know, you kind of got a taste for what we tend to read. It's sports. It's history. Uh, it's kind of the big box fiction stuff for me. You dive in a little deeper on the fiction. Um, we're, but we're always looking to break out. Yeah, that's the point. Learn something and right. grow as readers ourselves. So, yes, please, any recommendations that you have. Thank you for sticking with us today. This episode was a little bit longer. We talked about some things that were a little bit difficult for us, as honestly, we're still trying to process what we think about these issues. Um, so we welcome your feedback. Absolutely. Thanks so much for joining in with us. We'll be back in a couple more weeks. And in the meanwhile, keep reading. Keep reading.